intentional settling to abide in just this moment, this body, mind, heart, with a calm sensitivity.
<coughs> so we're going to take five minutes or so for a stretch if you need a bathroom break, if you come back as quickly as you can. And I just wonder if those of you near the windows would turn around and turn off the little lights. They either have a switch on the bottom that slides or one that presses. So...
Did anyone see anyone still out there? They're in here? They're in here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we'll assume. Okay. So, in leaving a retreat, it's very much the same as coming into a retreat. Uh, One comes into a retreat with a kind of sometimes excitement or sense of moving into the unfamiliar, um, maybe some anxiety or some apprehension. You know, am I going to be up to this? And what I always notice is that it's the same when we leave. You know, there's this sense maybe of a little bit of, maybe a lot of excitement that now now you get to eat whatever you want. <laughs> now you do get to use your cell phone, you know, whatever it might be. Get to see people that you haven't seen. Um, you know, and there also, I'm so aware that oftentimes there's anxiety and there's apprehension and there's fear. Am I going to be up to this? Am I going to be able to meet the more complex conditions in my life with some kind of grace, some kind of wisdom and compassion? So this time of leaving, of transition, I think, is so important to remember to stay awake and attentive and sensitive in the midst of you know, we are aware that some degree of renunciation will be required. And this is what we're aware of when we come into this context, is some degree of renunciation will be required. We're not sure what or how, but we do know the conditions will be different. And when we leave, it's the same thing. We don't think of leaving and having to renounce anything. But actually we are, we are renouncing the silence that has been so beautiful here. We are renouncing the simplicity of the environment. We are renouncing the immense support that we have received from one another in terms of having become, grown into a sangha, a community. There's a huge degree of renunciation when we go out into our lives And as we go out into our lives, our everyday lives, because of course this is our life, this is our everyday life, this has been our everyday life, but as we go out, what will need to be renounced? In terms of our reaffirmation of what is important to us. This is one of the most beautiful things that happens on a retreat is our refining of our priorities, really seeing what is really important to us. The non-essential, the unnecessary, the non-functional, it being put in its place, seeing more clearly and it being put in its place. And then that apprehension, can we live what we know now? Can we live our understanding? Can we live our realization. You know, so you want to go out with the recognition that it's just another form of practice. 
yes, it's more complicated. Yes, it's more complex. Yes, we do have to renounce the conditions here. And we move into whatever the conditions of our lives are. We move into a kind of invitation to express it all wherever we are. And we find a certain kind of home here after a while, after rebelling and resisting and hating and all of that. We do at some point surrender and we find a kind of home here. And this is kind of the point of coming together in this way in meditation centers, that it's an oasis in the midst of complexity. And it's the same practice when we leave. It's the same practice. Can the sacred place be exactly where we are? Can the sacred beings around us be whomever we're encountering? Yeah? Is the person we're with the best person to be with always? Is there a way in which we can live and express our practice, our realizations, our understandings in a more complex environment. You know, in the early years, I used to talk about, in a, in a leaving talk, I would talk about maintaining your practice. And I did that for a while, how to maintain your practice. And then I stopped using that word maintain because I realized it's not possible to maintain your practice. And then I started using the word again um, more recently because of course it is. You know, we can't hold on to the conditions. We can't hold on to the calm. We can't hold on to the um, levels of tranquility that we may have experienced here or not. But we can sustain the wisdom that we have understood. This is possible for each and every one of us as we move out. It is possible to live what we have learned you know, this is very real and very possible for each one of us. It is possible to bring our practice into life as it is. And again, the only sacred place is exactly where we find ourselves to be. So in this way, it can be maintained or sustained. It's not just an experience. Yeah. As much as we talk about letting go of experiences, our conditioning around having experiences is very strong and very deep. But if we recognize that as we move forward, it's not a matter of having an experience and then being afraid that we're going to lose that experience, you know, lose the experience of knowing what our priorities are, lose the experience of interconnectedness or sensing something that is far deeper and more beautiful than we could have imagined. We can remember these things. We can live our practice wherever we are. We are always answering an ancient echo that perhaps has been long forgotten. You know, the Buddha, when he invited people to practice, he would use this word, ehipasiko. Ehipasiko means come and see. And it means come and see for yourself how things actually are. 
You know, so as we leave this environment, the point is to go and see for yourself how things actually are. And to really um, reach into those reservoirs of confidence, of self-confidence, of self-trust, and to understand that it is possible for us to do it. I think that one um, one teaching that is well worth remembering has to do with what we've been speaking about all week, the four foundations of mindfulness or the four ways of being present. You know, so remembering that this is our this is our discourse to leave with. And the first being the body. So many of you last night spoke about your aspiration, your commitment, your dedication being to live more within your body, you know, to live more within the body. And I think that for women, this is so complicated. You know, young bodies have their problems. Older bodies have their problems. Healthy bodies have their problems. Sick bodies have their problems. Um, it's a complicated kind of realm. And to have this aspiration to live within the body is really a deep and dedicated aspiration to have. I mean, where can we go anywhere is the point. It's not possible. And yet, because of the really strong cultural messages and conditioning that we receive... It is really complicated as a woman in this society. I remember um, hearing a masseuse talk about how, um, you know, when people come in to be massaged by her, uh, you know, women have have definite kind of questions or, or places of vulnerability with their bodies, and men have other um, places of concern and um, uh, uh, vulnerabilities with their bodies. And what she said is that as a masseuse, she just sees bodies as light. You know, she sees bodies as energy. You know, and so let's break out of this. Let's break out of this conventional imprisonment and begin to try to see ourselves and others more accurately. You know, from a Dharma point of view, we do not see accurately. We do not see as things are. From a scientific point of view, it seems to be the same. That just visually, you know, we're all off. It doesn't make any sense how we see. You know, it's all misperception to see um, from a point of separateness and solidity and constancy. You know, it's so different in reality. And our our seeing, our actual um, seeing, our eyes really set us in a deluded direction. And so questioning our seeing, seeing if it's possible to see ourselves and others in radically different ways, perhaps as bodies of light, perhaps as bodies of energy, perhaps as bodies of love. So it being the 30th anniversary of this particular retreat, I wanted just to say a couple of things in reference to that. Um, 
You know, Christina, 30 years ago, had the wherewithal and the wisdom and the capacity and the um, energy and inspiration to begin this particular women's retreat. And for the last 27 or 28 years, I can't, we can't quite remember which. (laughs) We're getting old. Do you remember? (laughs) 27? Somebody told me it was 27. Okay. So for 27 years, we've been teaching this retreat together. And that's a long time. You know, that's a long time to um, to be a teaching team and to have such a depth of friendship in this way. Teaching teams don't usually last this long. And um, <laughs> it's, um, it's just a breathtakingly beautiful thing, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> that, that it has. Um, and to... Um, to be part of something like this where we've gotten to see uh, so much shifting and so much changing. And it's, it's almost like this, um, this kind of, um, you know, it's not as if on this retreat the same women come year after year. Um, and yet there's something, and many of you do come year after year as well <laughs> to honor you, but there's something that is, is almost like an energetic body on this retreat, where those of you who are new come in and are part of that energetic body, kind of magically, you know? Something has been created that you just come in and you, uh, you feel it and you absorb into it after a while. Um, and then there's these little groups, you know, we have our little Wisconsin-Madison group that you might have missed this year that I actually expect to see out in Spirit Rock because of the retreat out there this, this year as well. But there's, there's something energetic about the whole thing where um, women just kind of coming and going and sustaining for a while and then who knows what happens in a year. You know, so much can happen in one particular year and so not able to come back another year. So it's kind of, it's very free. You know, it's very free. It's not a, it's not a, a, a clingy group. You know, it's not, it's not attached group. It's just there is this environment in which you will be loved. You will be loved. And so it's a coming and going kind of thing, a very spacious kind of um, situation. And just um, just perhaps to, to also... Oh, I know, I wanted to say one more thing that I remember 27 years ago when we began and we... We started, um, we did the, the going away talk. We concocted this little thing where we were going to come out and um, Christina was going to say, now that you need, now that you know what to do, and then I was supposed to say, um, just do it. <laughs> so that was going to be the whole entire talk. <laughs> so of course, we're wordy, you know. <laughs> Things have changed from that time. It was a, it was a good idea, but obviously, those of you who have stuck with us over all these years, you know how we can talk. It's kind of the nature of being a teacher. You know, you, you just talk. So perhaps just to um, end for now, for now, always to be continued. Um, just saying what a great privilege it has been and continues to be and I know will be uh, to work with you throughout these years. Um, 
One of you um, who is is involved with hospice was um, reminding the rest of us that when someone passes away in hospice work, as they're passing away, how they're held is by saying, we are with you. You know, you can relax. Um, We are with you through your dying process. And um, we're all with one another, just just to remind you of that, because always life and death are happening here and now. How not? Life and death are happening here and now. In another way, it's this process, it's this long process, and it seemingly involves time. From another point of view, there is the timeless, and it's all happening here and now. Life and death, all of it in the here and now. And so, just this remembering that we are all in this together, we are all with one another, and we are all privileged to, in my opinion, be with one another in this particular lifetime. So, thank you so much. Well, I guess I just want to say um, a couple of things. Keep practicing. (laughs) It's been the ongoing theme. That I've been saying, and so has Christina and Orion. And I guess um, for those of you who are new, because I, I remember coming, the women's retreat was my first long retreat that I went on, and um, I remember this instruction, and I wanted to bring it here, which is land gently. <laughs> for those of you who are new. Um, Continue to sit, if you can, every day, even if it's for two minutes. I remember Christina saying, what do you think bathrooms are for? There's a door. (laughs) (laughs) I still like that. (laughs) And the third thing I uh, really love to say is um, something that is really helpful that... uh, Sylvia Borstein says, which is, um, wait, which is, why am I talking? So as you start to talk, just to take, and somebody in an interview told me there's also waste. Why am I still talking? (laughs) (laughs) So you can explore that possibility. (laughs) So everything is our practice, and um, just continue as best one can, with kindness and love and wisdom. Thank you. Um, I, I, um, I didn't want to leave this out, that when I was talking about Christina and I having um, uh, taught this for 20, 27 years, that Madeline um, uh, has been part of this for ever so long. And... Um, as a yogi beginning uh, this retreat as a yogi and then um, teaching on this retreat, um, holding it down, holding it down through her steadfastness and her obvious, enormously beautiful and huge heart. So just to recognize and honor. Um, Yeah. Okay.
<coughs> so I'd like to just follow on with that a little. I mean, I'd like to start with some thanks uh, for the enormity of your sincerity. I'm so aware of how this, the mandala of this retreat gets created and recreated, not only year after year, but day after day and hour after hour and sitting period after sitting period and walking period after walking period, how it's something almost that is born through the kind of sincerity and, and dedication that you all bring. So really a thank you for that. And of course to Narayan and Madeline, and we forgot we forget all the time to say thank you to Ewen. Thank you, Ewen, for leading the mindful movement. And we have conveyed those thanks to her. Is she here? No, she sits there. So we've conveyed ours and your thanks to Aaron. Um, I, I find it uh, in very interesting the way the, the Buddha presents awakening in so many different ways. And uh, you know, one of the ways he talks about sort of inner freedom is, is a life without residues. And I always find that a very kind of helpful reflection, you know, how do I live without residues? You know, the residues are the things I said that I regret saying, the things I didn't say that I really wanted to say, uh, the things that linger in my mind afterwards as being somehow not quite in accord with how I would wish to be. And you know, we experience those residues, don't we? They're the things we kind of obsess about, let a bit feel regret about. And I think so much of this practice and so much of the gift of mindfulness is, is really to begin to liberate our lives from and our minds from residues. And it takes really a considerable amount of awareness, obviously not only in our sitting practice, but in our speech, in our actions, in our choices, in the, all the ways that we engage with the world, which I think is why when the Buddha talked about the path of awakening, it, you know, it was never just about formal practice. It was about really all of those pieces that make up each of our lives, our relationships, our work, the ways that we move through the world, what we care about, how we the footprint that we leave on the planet. You know, all of these pieces are part of this path of care, of care. And so clearly, you know, a retreat provides a particular environment. Our life provides a different environment. A, fr a friend of mine told me about one of, one of his students who lives in New York City on a very, very busy street. And on the inside of the door of his apartment, it says meditation room, so that every day, time he opens the door, he's into the street, he's going into his meditation room. And, and I thought, oh, this, is, this, is a, this is a helpful attitude. This is a helpful attitude, because so often we, we kind of have this feeling, you know, that my sitting, my practice so much relies upon my times in formal practice, and you know, it's kind of why we've put so much emphasis on the walking in this retreat. 
because it's about how we enter the world and how we how we are present in all of those moments and to have that attitude i i'm so so admiring in the buddhist teaching that you know how we live is really not about just what we feel it's about what we do and and that's a kind of weighty piece it's not about what we feel it's about what we do you know so certainly as far as the buddha was concerned you know we don't have to feel a lot of metta in order to live in the in the light of metta we don't have to feel compassion in order to live in a compassionate way you know we don't have to feel like sitting in order to sit you know, we don't have to feel like walking in order to walk and i think that you know when we've talked a lot about intentionality this is what intentionality is all about it's actually guiding us through that landscape of changing feelings changing mind states you know and actually honoring again and again what are we really committed to what do we really value what do we really aspire to and to let that be our guide rather than what we feel like I mean, Madeline, you know, she didn't, she didn't have much voice this morning, therefore she's quite quiet. Uh, you know, actually, it's quite, I know some of you in the last few days have been a little bit unwell, and we've been unwell, and, it, and it's kind of interesting that you just turn up and it doesn't matter what you feel like. You know, it, it, it's, I, I find that quite something, you know. Okay, I, you know, I feel like going to bed. No, I'm going to give a Dharma talk. No. All right, Okay. <laughs> There you go, you know. But just what that does for us, actually what that does for us, you know, and and often those points in our lives, you know, when we feel unwell or there's life crisis or life challenge going on, these are often the times when we least feel like practicing. And these are the times when it's most important for us to show up. Most important for us to show up, and it, it, you know you can't define it by the contents of your sitting. You you, def, you you define it by the fact that you showed up. And and, and you know Madeline mentions this, this kind of commitment to sustaining, uh, renewing a daily practice, renewing those regular moments of calm and quietude and stillness in our life. I just think it's so incredibly important. It's, such a powerful reminder, you know. Here we've been in an environment that's filled with reminders. I mean, you can't get away from it even when you want to, you know. Sometimes don't you, haven't you just wished at moments you wouldn't see another mindful yogi? You know? <laughs> and then, there you are, there's another one, you know. And, and it's, it's, there's something powerful about those reminders, isn't there? It really kind of supports us and really... You know, even when we just feel like copping out, we think, oh, we can come back. You know, there isn't really anywhere to go. So we have many reminders here. And there's something about in our life, you know, I think about putting the reminders into our life in whatever way works. I know my kids say to me, you know, Mom, you really have enough Buddha statues. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know. But what are the reminders? You know, there's wonderful world of technology. Some of you might have come across Insight Timer. Apparently it's great, you know. It's an app, you know. You never sit alone. Every time you log in, you're aware of where everybody in the world is sitting at that moment who's logged in. You never sit alone. 
And, and sometimes it even shows you where people are practicing. There might be three streets over. Somebody else is, is sitting at that moment. Uh, the kind of little bit delicate part of Insight Timer does keep a record of your practice times. <laughs> so one has to embrace that fact. But it is important to have those reminders, and they come in many forms, because I, I often think it really just doesn't work very well for anybody to tell themselves or for us to tell anybody, you know, practice, practice, practice. Our practice needs to be inspired. It needs to be nourished. And, you know, we really need to be interested. So often that's a piece that's just kind of bypassed. And, and I think really it's so important to look at what inspires you, what, what nourishes you, what... Yes, what inspires you to to want to be still? And, you know, that's different for different people, but I think sometimes before one sits, one should read a paragraph or something in, in a book that's quite meaningful to you, you know, or listen to five minutes of a Dharma talk or, you know, have some reflection to really see what brings a kind of sense of meaning. We don't want a practice where we're just going through the motions or ticking the boxes, you know, and then it just becomes tedious and and it won't actually sustain. So I think really taking care of that kind of inspiration is is really, uh, cannot be uh, overestimated, actually. Um... Yes, yeah, so so it's it's that's a kind of search. You know, that doesn't you, we can do this on our own to kind of search what really, really does kind of touch us and move us and gladness, and so that we come to our practice with that that heart of gladness, yeah? smiling at our cushion, rather than oh, you know, I haven't done my practice today. Don't turn it into a weapon with which you beat yourself. Turn it into an avenue of exploration. You know, it, because it's, it, it's one of those reminders. There are many. I mean, personally, I find meta practice to be invaluable as a practice and to permeate and pervade our lives. There's so many opportunities, so much need. Um, you know, because I often take on a reflective theme or an investigative theme for a period of time, and one of them at the moment is really cultivating meta for those who I often regard as being more neutral, you know, or, or, or that I just don't see, which is almost the definition of a neutral person. I just don't see them. You know, so my past at the time is all these people in my life who, uh, who, who basically are functions to me. You know, the conductor on the train, the person behind the, the, the cash register at the supermarket, you know, uh, all of the, you know, the person at the check-in desk, you know, all these people who I just kind of think of whether they're, they're just sort of a function in my life. What does it mean to actually pause, to actually, you know, look them in the eye, to actually inquire about their well-being, to actually smile? And somehow, you know, I don't have any more neutral people in my life. And, and you know, I think it's, it's a real domain of practice. And it just, I mean, we know what it's like not to be seen. And, you know, that's a very human, human sorrow not to be seen. So, you know, to really experiment with the matter in different ways in one's life, I think, is, is really helpful. 
I mean, I would also encourage you, uh, you know, I, I am a very strong advocate of, of actually having a, a conceptual, cognitive, intellectual framework for this practice. When the Buddha talks about the steps of insight, he says, you know, first you hear the teaching, then you explore it experientially, because it's just not into belief systems. Explored experientially, and then the third step is embodiment. And you know, it's well worth. I mean, I, I get astonished what a genius the, this man was, you know, 2600 years ago, that he just looked at his own mind and evolved these incredibly highly sophisticated, still standing you know, roadmaps, not only of consciousness, but of the way that suffering is created and recreated moment to moment and how it comes to an end. And there's something about having that, that framework of understanding, I think, which so helps our practice. Um, don't be scared by the early texts. Uh, um, they look kind of inaccessible in the beginning, and then you kind of get the language for it. And um, it, it can be profoundly helpful. I think it's really, you know, sometimes we come into a retreat, we have expectations, sometimes those expectations are met, sometimes they're not, and it is as it is, isn't it? And yet probably one difference is that many situations in our life when our expectations aren't met, we just flee. Well, we're all still here. Well done. <laughs> well done. You know, and that in itself is about a capacity, isn't it? The capacity to stand in the middle of, no matter how it is. And, uh, you know, that's uh, sometimes we, we actually feel, I mean, if you think back to the first day of the retreat and that wild and chaotic heart, you know, we may have well have had more glimmers of calmness, more glimmers of kindness, more glimmers of understanding. And so important to remember that although we have wonderful conditions here, you can have perfect conditions and no, none of those glimmers. And it is to do with one's own effort and one's own sincerity and one's own dedication. And that really is internally generated, inwardly generated. And that you take with you into this next step that we're all taking. I encourage you as much as possible to take it slowly as you can, over this next couple of days, it's kind of great that we end on a Friday and many of you don't have to kind of immediately dive into work tomorrow. Um, and really, you know, taking care of the mind, uh, you know, one doesn't have to read every email, one doesn't have to, uh, you know, answer every message, one doesn't have to talk to everybody, you know. You, you can be a little bit of a hermit for a couple of days, you know, semi-hermit. An emerging hermit. <laughs> but not leaving your hermitage behind. But it makes such a difference to, to make this transition a little bit slowly, a little bit carefully, not f that although you leave IMS, not feeling entirely that you leave IMS behind. You, know? you take some of this really with you. And it's that kind of inner seclusion we've spoken about. And being able to step into that stillness, those moments of pause, those moments of calmness, and remembering their availability for us. So again, we all wish you really well in these next steps and 
you really take good care of yourselves. And some of you get to take the extra bonus of this cold home with you. I spend the next couple of days recovering. Um, again, perhaps we could take just a couple of minutes together. And again, just sensing that capacity to return and to reestablish a home in one's body, a home in this moment, to return to and reestablish a moment of quietude and of stillness. Sensing all the women around you. Appreciating their dedication, their support, their silence, their practice. Appreciating all of the people here in this building who care for us so generously. So in such an unhesitating way. Appreciating any of those at home in our lives who've really supported our being here, helped to make it possible. The many benefactors in our lives, without whom we simply wouldn't be here. Really dedicating our our practice, our efforts to the well-being of all beings near and far, those we know and care for, those we struggle with, and the many beings we don't know and may never meet. And that whatever benefits arise from our practice, and compassion and kindness and generosity. And they truly contribute to the well-being of all beings. That whatever benefits arise from our practice in empathy, in commitments to the end of suffering, sensitivity may they contribute to the well-being the safety the happiness of all beings may all beings near and far safe and protected. May all beings known and unknown be peaceful. May all beings in all directions 
live with ease and with kindness. To the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas residing in all directions, with my palms pressed together, I make this request. Please continue to shine the lamp of Dharma for living beings lost in suffering in the darkness of ignorance. May I become an island for those seeking dry land, a lamp for those needing light, a place of rest for those who desire one, and a servant for those needing service. It's it's going to be a little complicated, isn't it, to get everyone? How are you going to do that? I have my turned off blackberry. Okay, I th- maybe. I don't know. How about spontaneous? <laughs> How about just spontaneous? For what you catch, rather than it'd be very complicated for us to stage something. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you all. That's really. Uh, Yes, I hope some of you can stay and have a little time to talk to one another and don't hurry. <laughs> Try not to hurry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Mm.